Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jesse Parker Humphreys and Becky Taylor Gill. Jesse, we had a little day. <laughs> Why what? are you looking at me like that? Because it wasn't producer it wasn't Becky. Producer oh Becky. my god! Oh, I wasn't even listening because wow. I, for some reason, when you said my name, I really wanted to go. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, "Don't do that." So then I wasn't really concentrating. And then I looked at Jesse, and they were looking at me, and I was like, "Jesse, just read my mind." <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> Sorry, I just full named you. Wow, oh, it was oh. just I was on autopilot. Um, Jesse, we had a little day trip yesterday, didn't we? We did. We went up on to Manchester. A very funny round trip. It was. Very quick in and out. And then on the train back, we had the worst people in our carriage ever. The most annoying people. They were in so the world. loud. And one of the guys was. He was definitely stoned. He was definitely stoned. <laughs> and he was sort of regurgitating like half Andrew Tate YouTube oh, rhetoric. No. It was about, like Andrew hustling. Tate times Jake Humphrey. Yes. <laughs> but like yes. non stop for two Nightmare hours. Nightmare combo. Which is so, <laughs> I know. It's so funny you say that because I texted Ryan, uh, obviously Ryan Hanu featured on Counter Press, but from the Stadio Wrighty's House Universe. And I said, there's this guy here who's just regurgitating sort of hustler YouTube videos and he said high performance podcast <laughs> a la Jake Humphreys and it is it was literally that it was just sort of he kept saying like oh this this was really funny right he kept saying the thing is bro he was talking to the guy next to like, did he know the guy no, next no. Oh, no. Great. he was Perfect. going thing is bro thing is bro like you can only fail so many times <laughs> you don't you just then you just stop failing and you just win so true king <laughs> and he just kept saying about you know you can you can only fail so many times start your own business keep trying because eventually You'll, you'll succeed and I kept thinking yeah but what if you just go bankrupt like there is an end point I once had a similar experience on a train from Manchester to London where this what is it about that train journey is it the same guy <laughs> Maybe. potentially because he was like really this was like years ago as well like <laughs> he was really going on about Bitcoin to these people. Okay, it was. He, I think it was the same. Know. It was nearly, and nearly. He, about halfway through the conversation, revealed his socks, and he was wearing Bitcoin socks. Amazing. Oh my god! I think you, I think you remember texting I must, you about this. I must this. have texted you about it, yeah. being like, I I cannot cope with this. So this guy wanted. Well, this actually just makes me laugh. He wants to start his own digital marketing agency, oh, no. <laughs> of course. And he was boring these people. No, who, but he was also moving to California to start a weed business, <laughs> and he was also a Michelin star chef and he also had a construction business so okay. I'm calling bullshit on some of this okay so I missed that because I just put my headphones in and turned my volume so loud <laughs> to block out all the noise and Jesse refused to put in their no, headphones no I didn't refuse it's just I've got running headphones which aren't in ear they're like the bone conducting ones so you can't really block out noise if you so, turn it loud enough you can Jesse no you, bone like, you literally can't where uh-huh. Say that again. They're bone conducting. So, so like you like I've tried, sit- I've tried some sunglasses on in John Lewis ones <laughs> that were bone conducting. That, are also, that were also headphones. You like you put the sunglasses on. Yes, no. it's exactly the same concept. Yeah, it's so fucking freaky. It's that so feels weird. very like, like high tech but low but tech like, at the same that's time. Very James Bond. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's also like I don't think it was that good. Yeah, because like it doesn't. I mean, it's, I it sounds it's good, because it they're for running. Out, yeah. The point is, it's like to help you be safe, so yeah, you can yeah. hear yeah. like a car coming yeah. or like someone telling you to move out the way. But those 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 sunglasses also sounded quite ugly. They would doesn't sound like it'd look cool. They were just like so standard. Yeah, they weren't like the prettiest. Well, anyway, anyway the train back was horrible. Um, but Jesse and I went up to Manchester to talk to Manchester City legend, fave of the pod. Laura Coombs. Um, we had a very, very fun chat with her at the CFA. Her first ever podcast as well, making wow. her debut an exclusive interview with the Counterpress team. So that was really fun. We're going to be playing some of that later in the show. Um, also, we've got to talk about the two big games on Wednesday night, which was Arsenal's victory at Everton. But really, there was one big talking point from that game which we'll obviously get on to and then a massive win for Chelsea as well which puts them top of the table for the first time since the start of February Um, so let's get into that and also look ahead to the derbies on the weekend after this. Right, I want to start with Chelsea's win, Jesse, because you went to Daggers. I actually don't care about the football. I want to hear about the pot noodle. Well, we'll get on to, we'll get on to it. <laughs> I, I want to say that you, after our big day trip to Manchester and back in, you know, about the space of six hours, I managed to get out of going to Dagenham and covered the game off Sky. And you went all the way to Daggers. Uh, I didn't want to miss Kate Longhurst's first 90 minutes in a very long time. I know, shout I out Kate, because we were all very happy to see her starting. But the fact that she also played the whole game for the first time in a very long time was great. But you all, you did, 
catch our attention in the Counterpress group chat because the halftime treat, tell us about what you got at halftime. Was there other flavours? There was. <gasps> okay, so um, this is not my first rodeo at the Chigwell Construction Stadium. Great. It was actually my third time attending this season. Um, and the first time I went, my girlfriend got a pot noodle. <gasps> and I was like, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> huge. And then, so this time, I was really hungry and I was like, oh, kind of fancy chips, but you can get a pot noodle at the Chigwell Construction Stadium. So I was like, listen, JPH, live a little. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Get both. Wow. Starter and a main course. Starter and a main course. So yes, I got a pot noodle, chicken mushroom flavour. They did also have original curry flavour. Oh! Is that your favourite? Yeah, I need to go. You <laughs> <laughs> felt like you'd be stabbed in the chest. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, cu- pot, curry pot noodle, the best flavour. I am obsessed that you can get pot noodle there. That is ingenious. It's innovative. It's, so it's amazing. I know. Because it's also so simple. It's just hot water. Well, and also I was like, shall I get a pot noodle or a tea? And then I was like, well, pot noodle is like a hot drink and food in one. Yeah. So obviously you get that. You did. A, you made a really good choice. Yeah. I'm really proud of you. Yeah. It was a great evening. All and told. was that the highlight of the day <laughs> or the evening? The highlight of the evening was the Kate Longhurst shot, obviously. Oh, honestly, it, you were going to be on the pitch. I, I was going to be down, going downtown because <laughs> we'd we, have been at the Carvery by Dagenhamese Tuesday. Because all what night. a volley. What a volley. Um, and it came off the back of, was it Schnurler, who'd had a, a chance cleared off the line by Jess Carter? Um, and the ball came back out to Kate and it was 3-0 at this point, I think. And Kate just thought, fuck it. And absolutely walloped it towards the top left-hand corner and it just was missed. It, was it a first touch? It was first touch. Yeah. Classic Kate. Classic Kate. Didn't score by it. By inches, though. It only, yeah, it was yeah, close. It was, it was really close. close. And I was really excited, but then I was thinking after it hadn't gone in, I was like, I would have been so pissed if we'd lost the league by one goal. <laughs> <laughs> and it had been her. I know. Um, but it didn't, so it's fine. And then we scored an extra one, so. And there was also, uh, Kate was saying she thought someone in the crowd got absolutely walloped by Sam Kerr shot. <laughs> Sam Kerr had well. a similar a shot from a similar uh, area in the in the first half. And she has scored some very good long-range efforts, but I would suggest she's not known for mm-hmm. her long-range shooting. And she properly took out one of the Chelsea away fans. <laughs> <laughs> In the face. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Well, Ooh. if you are listening, I hope you're okay, hon. Um, because, yeah, that sounds... Would you take getting absolutely walloped, like really painful shot to the head to get like a Samka signed shirt at the end or something? Like, is that... No. Interesting. <laughs> Would you? No. <laughs> um, Viv Miedemar once hit me with a shot <gasps> at Chelsea. Chelsea nil, Arsenal nil last season. Wow. Did yeah. it hurt? <laughs> uh, not really. It was like, it like hit me like on the leg. Like it oh, wasn't... Oh, okay. It wasn't face. I think face does no, really No, no, really no. Hurt. It wasn't face. My favourite, this is my favourite Nikita Paris story is um, Chelsea played Man City years ago and in the warm-up, they were warming up and Nikita Paris had this shot missed by Miles, smacked this three-year-old boy <gasps> in the face, <laughs> cried the... The kid oh cried God. the entire match, and I'm pretty sure it was a nil-nil draw. It was just not a good day. <laughs> Three out. is too young. Yeah, it's too young. Yeah. Like that head is smaller than the ball. Let's get back to the game though, because it was actually quite edgy for the first sort of 45. It wasn't, but it was edgy in the fact that West Ham were like Chelsea dominated the whole thing from start to finish. But actually, when Chelsea were only a, a one goal up, I think it kind of felt like. They do need to push on, and the fact that the they went in ha- ha- at half time only won the luck. You know, obviously, Emma Hayes is going to come out and be like, "Just go and destroy them," which they did. But it felt edgier than it needs to be because West Ham points were actually kind of defending okay, and Chelsea. But that I was the thing were... they were defending. I, <laughs> I mean, I feel like maybe I've infected you with my pessimism because I think the only frustrating thing was Chelsea should probably have had about three penalties in that first half. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, and so maybe that. I was like, I can't believe it's only 1-0. And then I think I texted you being like, oh, I would like to score more goals. But I didn't really, in hindsight, ever think West Ham were going to score any goals. I did, yeah, they, they didn't really, apart from that Kate chance and the one that was cleared off the line. But by that, by that point, that, by that point it was dead and buried. It just felt maybe a little bit more tense than it needed to be. Um, but the fact that they got that fairly early goal, it, it felt like from that point they were definitely going to win, but was it going to be as good as some of the other games they've had in this amazing April spell? And turns out it was. Um, 
but the, a big focus as well in in kind of Sky's coverage and how I was kind of looking at it last night as well is another seven changes from Emma Hayes um, for the team last night compared to the team that played in the FA Cup final. 75 changes that she's made to her starting 11 this season, the most of any WSL wow, manager. that is a great start. Amazing, isn't it? Love that. Um, and it's this period right now, and actually Caroline Barker noted in the coverage that around 25%, I think it was 27% of Chelsea's games have come in this month. Uh, and their win ratio has obviously been amazing. So... It is exceptional to see how, and this is why their recruitments work so well, how the depth of their squad, even without Fran Kirby and Millie Bright, is really being utilised to its fullest right now with the amount of tweaks that Emma Hayes is doing. And she was asked about this in the post-match, how can you make so many changes and it still work out? And she talked about the fact that, you know, she trains everyone in positional um, in positional play rather than saying like your specific role as you it, you know so that you can interchange it much easier we know that sometimes her changes in game haven't worked so well but this period she has chopped and changed a lot from game to game and Jesse, it's been pretty pretty good so far yeah and I do think that's always kind of been a mark especially towards the end of the season I think often Hayes holds back on some of the summer signings earlier in the year to to make sure they are ready to do um it's interesting that she describes it as positional I don't know if I would describe it as positional I think it always feels more relational but um I guess that concept of being like this is how you want to play and she said before the FA Cup final right that um you know she doesn't play like in training a starting 11 uh whereas you can imagine some teams like United who obviously have a very fixed starting 11 probably train more consistently with those players rather than rotating through everyone. Um, but yeah, that's that's the point of having a good squad. And, you know, to a certain extent, Chelsea have... They've obviously been affected by injuries, but in some ways those injuries have probably allowed players to get more minutes throughout the season, um, which then actually at this point, as you've got players coming back... Um, means they're actually more ready to to come in and out of the team team like that. And it also just gives everyone a level of fitness, you know, like even bringing on Cuthbert, Wright and James for sort of the last 20 minutes or so, that allows those players to get some minutes in their legs, um, have an opportunity to play at a higher intensity to training, which is therefore going to like leave them in a better position for the Arsenal game on, on Sunday. Obviously, there is that obvious depth that they've got right now, which other teams are struggling with. But why do you think they are so good in April, May time? Because this isn't the first time they've just gone and gone and ground out those results. So why? what do you think makes Chelsea so good at this point in the season? I think Chelsea and Hayes plan to peak physically around this time. She's, she's talked about that in the past, like the way they look at um, kind of fitness and... Uh, making sure kind of players, I guess making sure players aren't in the red zone earlier on in the season, if you know as much as possible, so that then players are kind of ready to to really go for it right at the end. Then you've got, I guess, the mentality aspect. Like, I think we said this earlier um, in terms of Chelsea having this run. When you've gone through end of season eight nine game winning runs in like the past two seasons, obviously you back yourself to do it again. And then the other element is Chelsea, I think, recently. The f the fixtures have fallen nicely for them uh, in terms of the run of games they've got towards the end of the season. They had a really horrible march, for example, in terms of the fixtures they had. Um, so I think it's easy to be like, well, we'd have probably looked at March differently if they'd had West Ham and Leicester there and looked at this month differently if like Manchester City had been the week before Arsenal. Yeah, their fixture list has been fairly generous compared to what some of their rivals have faced across the last kind of like You've six weeks. all got to play the same teams twice though. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do. But you know, you were talking about like March compared to April and they've had, it's worked quite nicely for them to peak against teams that are yeah, on the I know, beach or just quite shit. Well, <laughs> yeah, but then equally you could say in this month they've had to play United and we'll have to play Arsenal. So um, I think the nature of being like obviously later on in competitions is... Um, that you're always going to have have a mix of games. But yeah, obviously it helps. Although, it, you know, I guess West Ham and Everton, you could say they're on the beach, but Leicester was the game that I looked at in this run and thought, oh, that could be really tough because they've actually got something to fight for. 
equally you could say that about the Reading game on the last day of the season. Now the reality is like Reading could be down by then, Chelsea could have won the league by then, so maybe it doesn't matter. But um, it's always very hard to predict, right? Like when you look at the fixtures at the start of the season, who, which ones are going to matter, which teams are going to be in with something at that point. Quickly want to touch on Koncheski because that is yet another defeat. For West Ham, um, you wrote a piece last before the weekend, wasn't it, around how poor they've done this season and just the the almost kind of like lack of interest the club have shown towards the women's team recently. I I mean, it's hard to say much more than that, really, because the record speaks for itself and and who knows what's going to happen with him this summer. But it was another performance from West Ham when they just when they, they just seem to be fighting for their life out there. It's so disorganised. And you see that in how they defend because, you know, I think there was a corner that came in and you can see that no one quite knows what they're doing. So... Everyone, there's what there's always a player that feels like they need to rescue the situation. A lot of the time, you know, it might be Kate who's like, I need to go to this ball because I don't know who else is going to go for it. It's it's that kind of lack of direction and just coaching, which seems to kind of scream in every single poor performance they they bring as well. Yeah, and I mean to a certain extent, I thought they did look better in this game than maybe they had in others, but I don't know whether that's just because they didn't they just played a back five like before the game I counted and there's eight play- there were eight players in that starting 11 who within recent history have played in defence you know you look at their midfield they've got Lucy Parker as the holding midfielder you've got Kate as kind of an eight and okay like Kate plays in midfield but we've seen her play in defence loads of time you've got Lisa Evans as on your forwards who we've seen play in defence loads before so I think that tells you a lot about um, how they wanted to to set up, uh, but ultimately, like the results speak for themselves. They're awful. And um, in the piece, I spoke about how both Rahan Skinner and Lydia Bedford had awful runs, exactly like this uh, at the end of at the end of last season. And both teams stayed up, and it didn't have to matter. But you got into next season, and nothing changed. And then both managers had to be sacked at some point. And if West Ham don't make a change this summer. Exactly the same thing will happen. West Ham could get relegated. Um, it's a total failing of the club, in my opinion, if he stays in the job because he's quite clearly rubbish at it. And that's not surprising because, as we talked about before, he has zero experience in senior man- management. Um, and OK, maybe you just think the the vibes will be worth it. But I've also got to say, like, what is the point in having a club legend manage your women's team when you've got no interest in putting them in your main stadium? Um, like, your attendances are pretty average like who who is Koncheski engaging the tickets are really expensive as we found out <laughs> the on the train to Manchester pounds. um but do you know what I mean like it doesn't make sense if you I'd almost have not more respect because the football like should come first and the quality of football obviously should and if you're playing shit football you're also not going to engage people but if they were really going to make Koncheski um like the serious face of West Ham women and utilise his standing within the club um, to motivate West Ham fans generally to watch the women's team, I would at least get it from a kind of business and marketing perspective. But the business and marketing side is also so appallingly done that I'm like, what is the point? He's Mm. shit at football. He doesn't offer you good marketing. And because you're shit at football, your marketing becomes even worse. Amen. Let's talk about the <laughs> other big game on Wednesday night like, as Jesse just takes a, a sip of water of after, that, after, that, like, <laughs> after that rant. Uh, yeah, let's get into Arsenal's victory over Everton next. Right, so the other game last night was um, Arsenal beating Everton 4-1, but really there was only one storyline, I think, that came out of this. Obviously, it um, keeps Arsenal on the march towards Champions League football, which is really critical for them, really, for recruitment in the summer. Um, And if they do secure that, it will be massive given what's happened for them this season, but it put them in a very good position. But really, we all came away from this game talking about the Leah Volte injury, the Aggie Beaver-Jones challenge, the red card. Agnes. Agnes, Her uh, full name, (laughs) uh, Agnes Beaver-Jones challenge, because it um, set the discourse racing online as these things... It's been a while, actually, since we've had a crazy... Yeah, it has been, actually. It's been very calm. It's been popping off on Twitter. Um, But it went off. Um, It 
it was a horrible challenge, you have to say that. Um, she timed it terribly um, and, you know, her studs were fairly high on the ankle and it doesn't look great for Leah Volti. But it set off a big kind of eruption of... Uh, angry fans on social media, some of them, you know, atting Aggie Beaver-Jones directly, then people saying, leave Aggie Beaver-Jones alone, then Aggie Beaver-Jones releasing a very long statement saying, I'm so, so sorry, it's not like me, I made a massive mistake. Then Leah Volti saying, leave Agnes alone. (laughs) (laughs) I I enjoyed when Leah Volti wrote, please, thank you, exclamation mark. Um, so, yeah, Jesse, there was just a lot of discourse last night about this incident and you, you can understand fans' frustration, but it just gets out of control sometimes, or a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different facets around this. I think if you start with the, the tackle on the foul itself, um, it's stupid. It's really stupid. Um I do think it's concerning because obviously she wouldn't mean it, but there is a level of recklessness to the tackle, which, you know, was was clearly endangering a player. Not to mention you're 4-0 down. Like there's really, really no need to be going in like that. Um, And sure, she's 19, but like you're a professional footballer and you can chalk it up to like naivety, but I just don't believe if you've been playing football for that level of your life that you don't know how dangerous that tackle is. And I think something that comes away from that is, you know, going back to talking about refereeing in the WSL and this kind of historic problem that uh, it still feels like referees view all the girls as being really nice and not meaning anything. Um, And I think it's easy to... I think that lots of Arsenal fans' frustration probably kind of stems from that attitude that it's immediately like, Aggie Beaver-Jones didn't mean it. And I don't think she, like, meant it. I I don't think that's, like, really the point. that word is so, like... It's very loaded, yeah. yeah. But... I, I do think it falls into a, a tough thing of being like players can make bad decisions and they can be aware or like they should be aware subconsciously how dangerous those decisions are. And I think that the tackle last night falls into the category. But yes, we have a much broader problem that because girls are really nice and they never mean to hurt anyone, um, we never give red cards. You know, the referee gave a yellow card. I couldn't believe that foul it. And initially. then without VAR or anything, obviously because her her linesman or the Arsenal players or everyone had been like you are crazy. She ended up changing it. And it was just the whole the whole thing was just really ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a broader problem and it's <sighs> Maybe it's, I don't know if it's harder for, for younger players coming up. If you if you feel like there's a level of a tackle that maybe you can get away with that you wouldn't be able to get away with in the men's game. Like, I, I just don't know. Um, I think the other thing, though, that I find a bit strange about the whole thing is, like, I think fans are entitled to feel upset and concerned about what happened to one of their players. And obviously no one's saying you should go and, like, at Aggie Beaver-Jones or say things that cross the line but I do think there's also this like stop abuse element um becomes bundled up with with just people being like I'm really upset and I'm angry and I'm angry that a player behaved like that and I think it's fair to be angry at a player behaving like that because it is a dangerous tackle and if we're just going to sit around and go oh you know she didn't mean it so that's like kind of fine (laughs) then you you're kind of like not excusing it, but again, I think it contributes to this culture of being like, no, we should say that dangerous tackles are dangerous mm. because we're now looking at a player who's like potentially going to miss the World Cup and who knows what else as a result of a tackle which just did not need to be made. On the edge of Arsenal's box as well. Like, what are you doing? Like, why is she... Well, it's because she lost the ball, right? And yeah, she exactly, lost the ball but... and she was frustrated because she was in a dangerous area and that's why she went in for it. Um... You know, and I don't know, like earlier in the match, Leah Volti like kind of tripped Aggie Beaver Jones up in the box. I don't know if like that was like contributing to her feeling like she'd been up against this player for a, a long Something time in the game. Yeah, she felt like she was, but like it was stupid. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's important as well, like you say, to kind of as much as we never get, we rarely get red cards that should be red cards in women's football because there is this 
culture of, um, you know, letting things slide because women don't foul each other and women don't play act and women don't shithouse and all that kind of thing is like, it's also important to like set the precedent and call out these things and also then manage games better to say, yeah, that's a horrible challenge and we should make sure these things aren't happening because otherwise people won't realise probably the the severity of it, right? Well, Unless you like set those standards. Go back to the the Chelsea Everton game right where the player goes like right through Lon James in the penalty area and it's not a penalty and I'm like it's not dangerous play but it's like a player like sliding in getting none of the ball and all of the player and it's not a foul like it's not even a foul and I'm like that it's even like from that small even if it's not dangerous play all of that stuff not being penalised encourages players to go for things that they're not going to get yeah Definitely. Let's talk about this weekend because Chelsea hosting Arsenal on Sunday, the early kickoff at 12.30. Jesse, Chelsea haven't lost to Arsenal in the WSL. Obviously, we know that they lost in the Conti Cup final. Um, unfortunately I don't know. For I my, don't recognise that. Because comment. of my curse. Um, since, Never heard of it. Since September 2021, which is a very long time ago, they have a very good record in the league against Arsenal in recent meetings. Haven't lost. Sorry. Yes, haven't lost to Arsenal in the league okay. since Have September 2021. Yeah, we drew 0-0 when Viv Miedemar hit uh, me on the leg. Yeah, season. the famous incident. People haven't stopped talking about it. <laughs> oh, and we drew 1-1, obviously, at the Emirates. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is a massive game for Chelsea, obviously, because if they beat Arsenal and United drop points to City, they could win the league with a game to spare, which is, you know, no one's done that since Arsenal a few years ago. So it's quite rare that we get things wrapped up before the final day. So it could be a massive day for them. But also the fact that Chelsea are playing so well and they're in such a rhythm and they've got, you know, a, a, a squad that's feeling good and looking fresh. And Arsenal are down on their goddamn knees, like just waiting for the season to end. So it's actually, as these matchups go, it feels like a very different matchup because the two teams are in such different places right now. Yeah, although I think Arsenal have looked okay, like surprisingly okay, although it's hard to guess judge against Brighton and Everton. Um, and they did sort of struggle in the first half. They didn't struggle, obviously they were falling up, but like in the first thirty minutes, like they struggled they took them a while to get on the ball. Um But yeah, I it'll be interesting because obviously from a Chelsea perspective, four ahead of United on goal difference, um, with the Reading game to come, there obviously is the kind of feeling of like just don't lose. Mm. Um But then because it's the derby, because Arsenal is so weakened by injury, they're then that pressure comes back of, you know, the expectation will be that Chelsea should win. The thing that's tough for, I think, for Chelsea is just the number of games they've played. Obviously, Arsenal's like squad is genuinely decimated um, and they played midweek as well. But obviously, Chelsea had the FA Cup and, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell how much has been, been taken out of the team. But yeah, it'll be, you know, last home game of the season, um, Last time we'll probably see Penilla Harder and Magda Eriksson at Kings Meadow in a Chelsea shirt. Uh, I think it will be an emotional day and I think there'll be a big incentive even beyond the league, I guess, to to get the win. And these games are always fun, especially since Jonas Seidevel came in because there is a kind you of You clearly like... weren't at the nil-nil then. <laughs> well, but there's a pantomime. I'm not talking about like the, the, like not off, the performances aren't always, you know, iconic, but... The atmosphere just has got a little bit more dramatic and soap opera and pantomime since Idabel came in. And that's been really fun, regardless of some of the results and the performances. Like, there's a new element, a new spice to it. And I think that's, we know that's always guaranteed because there's going to be a bit of a trash talk in the lead up to it and afterwards. And that's what I really enjoy the most as well is that you can guarantee there'll be probably a little bit of drama. Katie McKay will certainly probably start for Arsenal. She's been really good the last few games and she's going to be up for it. So there should be some good kind of individual battles. But Arsenal as well, like they've got a lot to play for because they do have a bit of an advantage now over City when it comes to Champions League qualification. And if they can win their last two games their goal difference is you know is over 10 more I think than City so they can secure Champions League so they also need to kind of make sure that they don't just kind of 
lie down and and get absolutely battered because that could impact um, their goal difference. So I think it'll be a really interesting one. Are you nervous about it? Um, I don't feel nervous right now. I probably will on Sunday. I just think it's interesting because I feel like Chelsea and Arsenal have both a lot and nothing to play for. In the sense of like a draw would probably suit both teams and um, it feels very different to last year as well just because... And the game I earlier mean, this year at the Emirates as well. Yeah, technically Arsenal obviously... Uh, like theoretically could still win the league but like they kind of feel like they have secured Champions League football that's where it feels like they're going to finish Chelsea are very very close to winning the title um, and they're not really like competing against Arsenal in that sense so I think that definitely like changes the the feeling around it um, I de- it doesn't feel like as edgy as the other games although obviously there's like an interesting bragging rights because it's Chelsea have won once against Arsenal this season. There's been a draw and Arsenal have won once. Um, so, yeah, I th- like I think it will be interesting, but it doesn't feel anywhere near as exciting as if you tell at the start of the season, Chelsea-Arsenal on the penultimate day, like that could have really felt like going for the title and it's just, it's not like that. And yeah. also like playing Arsenal, like this Arsenal, like, even if Chelsea win, it's, you're not really playing Arsenal. No, it's not you? the same. It has lost its shine a little bit. Um, we need to preview the other big derby on the weekend, which is the Manchester derby. United hosting that one. But we thought, before we talk about the game, let's hear from our new best pal, Manchester City midfielder Laura Coombs, because as we mentioned, me and Jesse went up to Manchester to speak to Laura earlier this week ahead of the game. And we chatted to her about why this derby feels extra spicy this year. Laura, thank you so much for chatting to us. We are in City HQ. We walked past when we came in seeing you guys train a little bit as well. So I know you're fresh, literally, off, off the, the training pitch. <laughs> yeah. So one of the last training sessions maybe before the derby today? You've got a yeah, few more probably. Friday, but Saturday. How's it going? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, good. Yeah. Good, yeah. Um, everyone's happy and really excited about it. Obviously, we've we've got something to prove we haven't beaten them this year um coming off the back of a loss as well so we just really want to put it right and a good result would be we'd definitely do that obviously it's a derby and there is quite a lot at stake not only for you guys but I think a lot of people are going to make the assumption that Chelsea will probably win the two games that they've got coming up Mm. and, and especially that game against Arsenal and if you were to beat United you would put them out of the title race mm. is that extra motivation in this one against a, a rival <laughs> a little bit <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'm not gonna lie yeah a yeah. little bit um we obviously just want to go into every game and win but against you know it's your pride isn't it it's, yeah yeah we want to win for man for our side of manchester and you scored at the etihad in that um derby when was it? Uh, December. Mm-hmm. Well, the world's coldest derby mm. in the Etihad. Was it like scoring in a derby as well, in front of a big crowd as yeah. well? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a bit surreal, to be honest. I think after it, I was like, I I wish I in the moment I like took it in more. Um, but I was just so excited that we equalised. So I didn't. I kind of forgot that it was me that did it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a great feeling, and yeah, hopefully another one. Did you have a celebration plan that you then forgot to do? Or was it you just kind of got caught up in everything? I, I In my head, I was just like to the girls, if anyone scores a big goal, we got a knee slide. But in, <laughs> in at the time, completely <laughs> forgot. <laughs> Not nowhere close to a knee slide. <laughs> Obviously, I guess there's been so much change at City this year and there's been a lot of chat about that. But how do you feel like your roles developed because I think we've talked a lot like across the whole season about um like new girls coming into team other girls leaving um and I guess also Bunny's like had a lot of attention in terms of like the goals she scored but it feels like you've really been on a journey this season too in terms of like getting more minutes and also presumably having a bit of a a leadership role right with Mm. with some of the younger girls coming through yeah I think some of the bigger personalities leaving last summer it did kind of naturally allow some other people including myself to take more of a leadership role and being more experienced than a lot of the other 
players in the team now. Um, and I, I just feel like I took a lot of confidence from that and playing week in, week out, it's what I came here to do, but it's I've really had to bide my time. I've put in some time on that bench. So I was literally, <laughs> I, I'm just so happy. And now when I got a bit of a taste of it at the beginning of the year, I was like, I really want to keep my place and just try to work as hard as I can and bring to the team what he wants from that position. So. Did you, was there a sense of like feeling like maybe this just won't happen for you at the club? Um, it's just the fact that it's Man City. They bring in world-class player after world-class player. And part of me is like, I stay and I compete and I train with some of the best players in the world or I go to try and go to a, like maybe a lesser team and play. But the competitor in me just wants to be a part of the best kind of thing. And every week I was training against great players and I felt myself getting better. It was just frustrating that maybe I couldn't show that on the pitch, but now I feel like that's paying off for me because this year I can, I have been able to play more. And what's it been like building that relationship in midfield with Yui Hasegawa and then mm. sort of Philippa Angadal or Dana, whoever's kind of playing along, yeah. alongside you? How how has it been forming those yeah. basically new relationships, yeah. right? It's actually, considering we are all different nationalities it's actually been pretty smooth um what language do you speak to each other um <laughs> well with you it's kind of just like head nods and <laughs> uh, some <laughs> basic yeah. yeah um but oh, dana and philippa's english is better than mine so <laughs> <laughs> have you been learning any spanish though because obviously there's quite a big like hispanic yeah. contingent now i try been told my pronunciation is very English so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just leave that to them learning English um but yeah it's been pretty easy they're really easy going girls I feel like Dana and Yui have fit straight in to the way so you want to play so yeah it's great and would you say this is the best season you felt like you've had at City yeah probably most consistent played the most minutes um, I still feel like since Christmas I've not been as good as I would have liked. Um, so, yeah, still stuff to build on. And I feel like that's obviously part of the reason why you wanted to stay. Mm -hmm. And it must be quite exciting with more and more players extending contracts as yeah. well about the future of yeah. this, keeping this squad yeah, together. I feel like we've got a real nucleus now of players that really want to be here, really want to see the club um, competing again at the top. I mean, everyone wants to compete but it feels like now we've really got that core of players that want to be here for the future um so it's really exciting and I know obviously a lot of people have asked you about getting back into the England mm. squad and I think since the start of the season so many people were putting your name kind of yeah. in amongst um the players and asking Serena Wiegmann about it were you aware of those conversations that were happening in the media and your name or were you kind of blocking that out no, I'm not on... Um, I think a lot of this stuff goes on on Twitter. And I'm, <laughs> I'm actually... I'm not on Twitter. Smart call. Yeah. <laughs> I came off there a couple of years ago. I thought it's yeah. a, bit, a bit of a minefield. So I yeah. just thought I don't... Yeah, so I came off. So yeah, I wasn't sure. And then some of the girls were like, oh, you might be in with a shout. But I was already mentally like planning my summer. <laughs> I really was not thinking about it. I was like, I'm going to go here, here, here. So, but yeah. Did it take you by surprise then when you got that call? Yeah, yeah. Because... Is it no caller ID? How does it come up? Well, yeah. I've, I've told some people about this before, but yeah, she called me on WhatsApp and it was just like a number. Right. I was like, no picture or anything that comes up. I was like, well, I'm answering that. <laughs> Something dodgy going yeah. on. Yeah, and then, yeah, then so I just left it and then... <laughs> got a message it was like i serena from the fa and then i saw the picture i was like oh my god <laughs> it's her <laughs> the mysterious woman yeah. <laughs> yeah and then did she just kind of say you know i'll be watching you and like your stuff kind of vibe <laughs> yeah yeah um she said that being contributing to your team's performance and bring you and have a look so yeah what's it like being back in there as well because it's been a while a lot's changed yeah a lot has changed it feels different different vibes there completely from i mean i only went to like it was like a big camp before um but it's a real confident positive environment and it was just really really nice to be a part of it 
we um we have Jilly Flatty on our podcast as part of our team and she was talking about you guys back in the day at the yeah. Arsenal Academy. Jills. She was telling us a few <laughs> stories. So is it is it funny I'm not saying you're old, but is it funny yeah. is it funny to have been in the league for a while now and seeing like yeah. some uh, players you played with retiring or going yeah. to coaching and you're like, guys, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I find that mad because a lot of really experienced like Jilly, when we were growing up, she was like the top. She mm. was in the first team when we were like 16. So I just assume these players are going to be playing forever. Yeah. And then when now I'm seeing people my age retire, I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I, as long as my body feels good um, and I'm still happy with my performance levels, I, I want to play because they do say you're a long time retired so <laughs> <laughs> everyone keeps telling me this what's been some of your favorite memories in the WSL as well having played for a couple of different teams yeah. and played for a while I think all teams well all te three main teams that I played for I'd say were so when I was at Chelsea it was like building the club was building that was really exciting because it was going from a real amateur environment um and then Emma coming in and that was exciting. And then Liverpool was, Liverpool's just a great place. Great city with great people. And I really enjoyed my time there. And then this is obviously like the pinnacle professionalism. So I think they all gave me something in my career that I'm gonna, yeah, really cherish. Do you have a favorite goal? I imagine it might be like one of the screamers you scored for City. But. Um, Actually it was, yeah, the, it was a Conti Cup against Liverpool, the that one. Yeah, I was just going to ask, I guess, as well, in terms of the screamers. And <laughs> how, how much do you think of that as being part of your game? Because I feel yeah. like if you say Laura Coombs to people, that's yeah. probably what springs to mind. Yeah. Um, no, I, I didn't think about it a lot until the, this year, early on this year. And then... I was doing my IDP with Gaz and he was just like, what are you good at? And I was just like, hmm. smashing the yeah. ball in the back of the net. He was just like, you're good at shooting. You're, you're good at running. So just every Let's game, focus on those. try and do that. <laughs> yeah. It's off. So that's my IDP basically. Yeah, that's why. So yeah, I feel like now I'm like, oh yeah, I sh should do that more. And what is it like as a, a player who you know, who's been in the league for a long time, who's been playing football for a long time in terms of that d development. Because, mm. you know, it's like quite common for players to be mm. like, oh, I always want to be working yeah. on stuff. Like, yeah. But how does that actually change as you go through your career? And is that something you still like specifically think about a lot? Mm. I I want to play as long as I can still develop. Like I don't think I would... If I was at a place where I thought oh, I can't get any more out of myself, I think that would be... I'm always someone who I think wants to keep getting better. Um, and I think different teams, you have different roles, different things that the coach looks for. So I think it's just about developing around your role, basically. And here that's very different to what it was at, at our previous teams. So. And looking ahead to the summer, how are you feeling about potentially getting into that squad for the World Cup? Are you nervous? Mm. Are you excited? Are you just blocking it out right now? Um, I would be lying if I wasn't thinking about it. I'd be over the moon, but also I'm trying to keep myself a little bit grounded in case it doesn't, because I think six months ago, I wasn't thinking about it at all, as I said. So if I go amazing and if I don't, then yeah, I'll be disappointed, but it wasn't on my radar. So yeah. Is that nice as well? Because it's like an added bonus. Yeah, it's a bit of a win-win situation. Really. And has it been nice as well, I suppose, to be even going to the recent camps, yeah. maybe not getting as many as many game minutes yeah. as you would have liked, but actually just being in amongst yeah, it again. Yeah, in amongst it, this, the experience and knowing that I've maybe earned a spot in those recent camps as well. And I was more buzzing about the second call-up because I'd never been to two camps in a row. So when I got the second one, I was more happy than the first one, to be yeah. honest with you. So, What's it like in terms of, you know, I think Vigman said before when people get their initial call-ups, mm. It, it's like she wants them to adjust to the environment. Mm. Was that like an expectation that you felt quite aware of in terms of like how much you might play and, and what the camps would be like? Yeah, um, I felt at the Arnold Clark Cup, I thought there's not really much point her bringing 
me in if she wasn't going to have a look at me. So I kind of thought I might get some minutes and then it's just up to me to really impose myself. But the way she plays, there are some similarities to how we play here. So it is, I felt like I had a little bit of a prior knowledge going into it. So, and a couple of things I was doing in training, she was giving me good feedback. So I was like, okay, I just need to do more city stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just get the city skills yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Laura, thank you so much for chatting to us. Thank you. And uh, good luck at the weekend. And uh, yeah, good luck for, for hopefully World Cup as well. Cool. Thank you guys. Jesse, vibe check on on our chat with Laura because we got some really nice nuggets from her about well, obviously this derby and I liked the way she was very honest about it was saying it would be really fun to spoil the party for United because you don't often hear that. People Normally are so... players are like, oh, we're just focused on yes. ourselves. We just want to get I the win. She was when... like, no, I want to stop United winning the league. I hate when players are all too um, diplomatic and nice. She really said, yeah, it would be really fun to do that. Um, so I enjoyed that. But we came away... Actually, you know, before we talk about the derby, we came away really interested in kind of what Laura Coombe said about England and obviously TBC on whether she makes the final uh, cut for the um, squad later, you know, towards the end of the month. But it's really nice to see how she is almost treating this experience of like she's got nothing to lose because she never thought she'd be back in this place, but she's having a Coomnaissance like you know like Matthew <laughs> it's not quite Ma- the same as Maronaissance I know is it? not quite the same as like McConaissance or whatever it was McConaissance that was the word um, Matthew McConaughey but um, she is having a <laughs> that passed me by yeah, yeah. She's, like, well, yeah me too that, like a popular ba- co- pop culture reference yeah or? it's basically when Matthew McConaughey went from doing like crappy rom-coms to doing Oscar winner I prefer films. I prefer his crappy rom-coms um but you know, each your own. But yeah, it's really nice to kind of see this 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 glow up she's had. Yeah, and I think also like what was interesting was was her talking about how maybe some of those bigger personalities leaving City has allowed other people, including her, to take on different roles within the team, uh, to take on different responsibilities, to take on different leadership. And I think that's something that's kind of you know there was so much kind of hand wringing over City and the departures, um, and in some ways. You know, maybe we've been not like harsh on City, but I think it wouldn't be unreasonable to say like this has been a transition season. And obviously it looks like they're going to miss out on Champions League football, but to have got like to have been as close as they were, you know, until that Arsenal loss, it kind of felt like they were even still in with a shot at the title has maybe been more impressive than we've given them, them credit for. And, you know, a win against United at the weekend would, I think it would be in, an interesting test for the City team and will be a good bellwether on next season because, you know, something that we've seen from Arsenal that's been really impressive has been the, like, never-say-die attitude, you know, no matter how, like, down and out it seems, like there's always something to play for. And this Manchester derby kind of feels like the same sort of test for City. Like, okay, it really looks unlikely that you're going to get Champions League football. I think... um, 538 the data people put it as like um like a 10% chance or something. But you can go and get this big win, you can potentially take the title away from United and you can sort of show that even though you've not got Champions League football this season, like your squad is in a place to still compete with the teams who are in the top 3. Um and I feel like that it will be really interesting to see sort of how that plays out for them. It is a weird situation for United as well because Chelsea having gone top uh, as of Wednesday night, I think it would shift things mentally having lost to them in the FA Cup final and that obviously being this kind of huge emotional release in you know in a, a really kind of frustrating way and disappointing way. But then you then watch them go to the top of the table and I just feel like you would naturally psychologically feel like, is that us done and you can't lean into that feeling because you have to keep grinding out and anything can happen you know say Chelsea do lose to Arsenal uh, and you know I do beat City they you know the goal difference gap but still they could you know still win this title but it does just feel like now it's said and done do you feel like that could impact Sunday's game as well I think you've sort of touched on it there it all depends on what happens with Chelsea Arsenal I think if Chelsea win 
I, yeah, I, I think it would be hard not to lean into that feeling because I don't think anyone at United would be necessarily thinking that Chelsea are going to go and lose at Reading away, although it did happen last season. Uh, and Deanne Rose, Rose is coming back, back baby! <laughs> My girl! Um, could, could Reading be relegated on Saturday? Reading could be relegated yes. on Saturday. And then they've, they've got, West and then they've got nothing to lose. Reading. And I tell you what, I'm going to be at Spurs now, so I will be seated for that one. Oh, you're going to stay for the I'm women's gonna game, I'm going to stay for the women's game. <laughs> Flo it's was true. thinking of just going to the men's game. Someone invited me to the men's game. Shocking. Um, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be open, because, you know, sometimes... Because like, like, it's hospitality. Flo only goes to hospitality. Oh, of course. Anyway, um, I, did, I saw on the email it does say, please stay for the women's game at 4.15, so I will be seated. Uh, Vicky yeah, Jackson. I can, I can take six Chambers. hours of football if you're in a box. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, but then if Arsenal beat Chelsea, then it doesn't it doesn't matter that Chelsea went top midweek. It doesn't matter that you lost the FA Cup final to them. Um, it's in your hands again. So that's like a really weird element of it. And it's so funny because obviously... The last day of the season, you play all the matches at the same time, and I really feel like these two matches should be play- being played at the same time because yeah. it feels oh, like it would be amazing for either team. There's like a bit of a, a psychological advantage going on, um, but obviously they're not because it's not the last day of the season, and that's fine. I and feel like it would be, but it's weird. I feel like though the FA thought maybe it would be too crazy to put on the last day, so let's just put it on the penultimate day, weekend. Yeah, but like they they wouldn't, have, yeah. But like it's it's just one of those things isn't it and also it's annoying just from a because I do do a Chelsea podcast I don't know when you to do record. another podcast. How dare you get the hell out of my studio? So sorry, I've kept it such a good secret. <laughs> I'm like, do I record? I can't really record before the Manchester. No, you are recording the evening. Yeah, 100%. yeah. But that's then annoying. That's just, it's just tough to be like, um, sorry guys, you're coming on my podcast. I can't tell you what time we're going to record at. <laughs> a quick word before we go as well on England's under 17s Euro campaign because the Arsenal wonder kid, the person that everyone's been talking about, she has been smashing it in Academy Wins Football this season but Michelle Adjiman has scored four goals in England's first two games in the tournament uh, they've won both those games as well Jessie, she made her senior debut earlier this season but she is an amazing talent and she's probably going to be maybe, you know, get the kind of golden boot as well in this one yeah, I mean, obviously, there there are like quite. It's interesting that Spain. You have got like Vicky Lopez playing for them. I'm like, wow, that really does feel like a, a cheat code playing someone who like kind of regularly plays for Barcelona in your under seventeen uh, team. But uh, yeah, Adramang's looked amazing. Um, her second goal against Sweden, in particular, I thought was great. Uh, she just kind of looks head and shoulders above um, the opposition players I think you you can really see that she's someone who's spent a lot of time in, in first team training both just physically uh, and in terms of kind of her game awareness uh, whether it's kind of uh, making runs to stretch the play or, or dropping deep and having other players uh, run beyond her but yeah she's definitely kind of been England's standout so far and those uh, youth tournaments are like no joke and England historically haven't been very good at them uh, so it's and Spain have historically been quite good at them Spain think, win uh, all the time <laughs> yeah. well that's all we've got time for today we'll obviously be back on Monday chatting about those two massive derbies and reflecting on any other big stories from the weekend so for now we will love you and leave you see you then <laughs>